on Stick to Football. We are back like Jordan and 45, not like the Longhorns, but we are back, Matt, Mello, and Connor. It is good to be sitting beside Mello. It is great to have Connor in our ears again since we last spoke in early May, fellas. Welcome back. Today, we're going to have some fun. We are knocking the dust off of ourselves a little bit, our equipment. We hope and pray works because it's just been sitting on the shelf. Uh, so we're going to run through today and talk about the state of college football in the NFL and kind of just give you guys like those, all the things that happened over summer that we didn't talk about. We're going to talk about them, Mello. A lot of stuff happened and we didn't get to share our thoughts on it. So this is the, the welcome back episode where we get to just unload on all the stuff that happened over the summer. Uh, you wanted to hear our takes and you will get it today. I can't wait. I feel like we have so many different things to go through. Basically, if it was in the sports world, big news over the last month, you are going to hear us comment on it today. So I'm glad to be back with you guys. It, it's, you know, it's been too long, to be quite honest with you. And I think for the old school stick to football fans, they are going to really love the format of these shows twice a week on their podcast apps. Yeah, they absolutely are. And, the, and as Connor alluded to there, we we have made some changes. We experimented last spring um, kind of at the uh, the wishes of uh, some Bleacher Report folks. and <laughs> Not us. Not us. Uh, I'm, you Tread know lightly, Matt. <laughs> uh, no, I'll just be honest. Uh, we were asked to try some things um, and experiment, and we did. And I know that some of you didn't like it. And some of us, there were times that we didn't like it. And we took a break and promised you guys we were coming back bigger and badder than ever. And to be quite honest, that didn't happen either. But we are back, and we're excited to be back giving you guys a podcast twice a week. It's going to be an hour-long, no more the 30-minute like game show-style stuff. It's going to be an hour-long podcast. And we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about what's happening in the world. And it's going to be, like Connor said, like the OG stickies are going to love what we're doing twice a week, Tuesday morning, Friday morning. You're going to get your hour-long uh, podcast uh, you know, a popular segment that used to be on on Fridays is not coming back. We're not going that rogue. I was say, you guys are about to break some <laughs> no, news on me not, here. Like, we're not going that rogue. I mean, at this DMs? point, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't, I don't. But also, fewer ads. That was one thing that y'all did say. Like, hey, you're doing, uh, you know, like a three minute ad break in the middle of the show four times. We uh, again, like, we work for people, and that was what was happening. But it's not going to happen anymore. And I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. But like, stick to football has always been a little bit of an experiment a little bit rogue and sometimes the bosses are like hey this thing is cool let's tinker with it and we're done tinkering like we're back to just giving you a podcast twice a week it's going to be fun as we roll in obviously one big question we we normally would have already addressed is tailgate tour and due to that son of a bitch coronavirus there will be no tailgate tour this year now unless Dr. Fauci and the crew roll out a vaccine that we all feel real good about real soon. Uh, no tailgate tour. I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe being out on the road. I love you guys, but I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you've been doing. So getting in a crowd of 200 people right now is just not a good idea for any of us. Uh, so no tailgate tour, which sucks. Like we were going to be like it. I think Oregon was on the schedule. Army Navy was on the schedule. Notre Dame was on the schedule. Like we were going to blow it up this year. Uh, but hey, 2021, we'll be back. I would say that if everybody would just stick to wearing our mask and if we can kick this thing's ass soon, I'd be willing to get out there in like November. Like if it all clears up. Yeah, I want to go to football games. So yeah. if everybody does their part uh, like we're supposed to, then I, I wouldn't be opposed to 
reopening up that conversation and seeing what's going on, mainly because I would love to go see Army and Navy play this year if that's going to be Make a it thing. the goal. Right? It's definitely, you know, honestly heartbreaking when I look at the schedule that we had hoped for, obviously – you know, the bonds that we've made with people that come out have come out for both tailgate tours now and people were expecting to come out for a third, you know, the new faces we meet. But I think it's something that will always be a part of stick to football. It's not like, hey, since it's not happening this year, most likely, you know, it's not gone forever. We always find events to do in the spring. Let's hope, like we said, we've been saying it even back when we were still on the air. You know, just do your part. It's really, really simple. Do your part so we can have sports, so we can have football and we could have those great events in the spring all together. At this point, like Jim Nagy needs to do a PSA that's like, if you want the Senior Bowl, wear a mask. Yeah, the Senior yeah, Bowl starts with wearing your mask. Yeah, they, like I know they have their the draft starts in Mobile. Let's just change it and be like, yeah. the Senior Bowl starts with wearing a mask because hopefully in the spring we can get to some of those events. We don't really lump those into oh this is the tailgate tour, but obviously we're in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. We do the combine. Uh, and we usually have some shows there. So hopefully everything clears up. And by the spring, we can get back to normal with our schedule. Yeah. And uh, having, you know, the three of us host, it's, uh, I guess, ironic. Or if you're a fan of Shakespeare, it's comedic that uh, we live in two of the places that became hotspots. Connor, obviously, being in the New York area. And then uh, we kept saying, like, man, you guys should just come to Joplin and we'll just do the show here because like, we don't so have coronavirus safe. There's cases. There's nothing going on. Man, did that prove to be wrong. Uh, yeah, we became uh, the Washington Post three weeks in a row named us a hotspot. So we've all lived and suffered through this thing together. Please wear a mask, wash your hands, like be smart, uh, because we do want to go to the Senior Bowl. That's our new goal. We want the Senior Bowl to happen, so mask up. Uh, a little bit of fun before we get into the world that is college football in the NFL. We took off about three months, almost exactly three months. Uh, did you guys do anything like fun? Um, <laughs> the world kind of sucked. Did you do anything fun? Got a new tattoo. Does that count? That's and cool. for all of our listeners, I know that you guys are very <laughs> eager to hear. I did finally get a new tattoo. Uh, but no, fuck off. It's not a Josh Allen tattoo. I'm not getting that thing. It was all a lie. Oh. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Uh, honestly, it's crazy. Like We get all this time off, right, guys? And it's like, man, this is... The one time in my career I could go take like a month-long vacation somewhere. Uh, the problem was living in the Northeast, there wasn't a lot of places to go. So I, I went upstate, you know, for a week, went up in the mountains. It was kind of cool to shut off for a little bit. But other than that, it's it's been a very, very quiet break. I mean, been doing my usual, going down to the beach over summer, things like that. Obviously, this month has been a... Uh, it's been kind of weird. I've been doing my usual prep, as I've seen you guys have two of the college football season and, you know, the top 50 to 100 prospects already. And every time I, I turn on some film or something, I just go, man, like, you know, is this guy, is this all the film we're going to have on this guy? Is yeah. he going to declare or, or or is this team that we're expecting to take a leap this year going to give that opportunity? It's just felt kind of weird, to be honest with you. It's been hard for me to like get myself up to watch tape because it's like, it's kind of depressing. It, it really is. And maybe that's sure. just like a, maybe I need to talk to my, my shrink about that, but it has been like a little bit depressing trying to dig in and watch tape. Um, I, so I was, I haven't taken a lot of vacations. Like I think Connor, we've been doing the show now for three years, like the last two years, like we would, we would go places, but we would still have to do the show. Right. So there was never like, Hey, you're on a true vacation, go unwind. Um, so I had some stuff stored up and they were like, um, while you guys are on break, we want you to use your PTO. It's like, okay. 
So I had six weeks of not working. I was going to say, like, you never use your PTO. Right. I went two months without writing an article. And I'm just sitting around, like, watching the world burn, basically. You know, George Floyd is murdered, and the entire sports community rises up. And, and, and you know, it's this amazing, needed moment in America. And it's like, I'm supposed to be on vacation. So uh, we went to Wyoming and Montana and, and trekked around and socially distanced in the mountains and uh got a couple new tattoos like that was my summer that was all i did yeah that sums it up i mean yeah uh, it would have been nice to have this break and be like oh we can't go explore like connor said but uh that wasn't the case but i won't complain we're back here doing our job that we love to do so all's good on this end yeah definitely i'll say yeah (laughs) i'll say this and i'm curious if you guys agree and if our listeners agree for all of the bad things in 2020 i mean it starts with Obviously, losing Kobe Bryant and this pandemic, you know, obviously, George Floyd, all the bad things in 2020 and the pandemic's been the constant for sure. It's actually been kind of, you know, weird. But the one nice part of it is that it was like time to hit the pause button a little bit and spend time with family that you normally wouldn't have time. Uh, I know for me, you know, commuting into the city all the time is you know, there's days where you wake up and the first word you say is fuck. Like, it's like, I don't want to get on the bus or train today. Uh, I'd rather just get more work done from home. So, I mean, there's been a lot of bad in 2020, but I do think maybe the world slowing down at times has, has been a rare good thing or one one bright spot. Yeah, I've seen my children so much that I think they're tired of me. There you because, go. Because, like, we're normally on the road so much. And, like, even this year, like, after day Absolutely. three of the draft, like, my, I was home and that that is has not happened since 2011 for me and it was th- so there are definitely you're right kind of there are those those moments of like there is a great silver lining here you know being able to uh, have that family time has been has been amazing all right let's talk some college football because and it's funny uh, when we when we knew we were coming back uh, and we thought we knew what day we were coming back we're like okay let's let's get people caught up on all the shit that happened that you would have wanted to hear us talk about and it's great. I'm so used to doing radio where we can't curse. And now it's like, oh, God, we're on a podcast. That's I can it. say whatever I want. Fuck out and find yeah, out. Wow. Fuck around and find <laughs> out. I can say anything I want. So, uh, so college football, I really thought by now we would have some solid concrete answers on what is happening in college football. And, fellas, that is not the case. As we saw, uh, this comes out Tuesday morning, as we saw late last week. The Pac-12 players have united and damn near unionized and said to the Pac-12 conference, if things are not changed, if some of our demands are not met, we are not playing. Some of those demands are that like Larry Scott, the commissioner, as well as athletic directors and head coach would take a significant pay cut, that they would see uh, less extravagant facilities and that money funneled into the players. And that was something I was talking to a Pac-12 player last night about this because I knew we'd talk about it today. And, and I was like, you know, where does that come from? Like every every school we've ever gone to on tailgate tour where we did a, you know, went and ta- toured the facility. They're always like, look at our locker room, our player lounge. Like they're so proud of those facilities. And what this player told me was like, we do not give a shit about those locker rooms. Most of us are not from wealthy areas. We don't need, you know, all this in the locker room. We would rather be paid a, a, a you know, reasonable amount and not have, you know, a $40 million or whatever locker room. So that is where the Pac-12 players are coming from is we are pu- we're putting ourselves and our families at risk to play a sport for free. And as I believe Penny Sewell said, we are not your entertainment. We are human beings. So as it stands Monday morning, uh, we don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. I, and I, 
I'm a little confused by some of the demands too. Uh, I'll start off by saying like, I think it's great what they're doing and that they're getting together and they're, they're having a voice because it's been way too long that the players have not had representation. It's just, these are the rules. You go follow the rules. And now we're starting to get some pushback where players are getting things accomplished. And that's nice. I don't know what they really expect out of this whole pay situation where they want all these administrators to take a cut. Because it's August 3rd while we're recording here today. August 4th while you're probably listening to this. I don't think that's enough time to get things lined out. You're looking at about a month and a half to figure out how to have these coaches and these administrators take cuts on their salary and then figure out how you're going to give that pl- the money to the players. That just doesn't seem like a, enough time. It doesn't seem like a reasonable ask. But I do think it's a great start for college football to see these players come together. Um, and it's not just one team. It's not just your Stanford or your Oregon. It's those teams working together saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want. So I hopefully in the near future, the very near future, we see these college football players have more of a voice on what they want, much like the players union with the NFL or the NBA or really any other group of athletes. I mean, absolutely. There's a lot to break down here, right? And I think the most simple ones to dissect, at least for me, right away, or the ones that are like, why hasn't this happened for the longest time, is the medical coverage, right? I mean, that's something that it's kind of remarkable that it doesn't happen right now. They're asking for guaranteed medical expense coverage, you know, six years after their college eligibility ends. It's it's jarring that that doesn't exist already. It just is such a no-brainer for what these athletes go through. And then, of course, making money off their name and likeness. It's something we've supported on this pod from day one. You can go back to some point in 2017 where, you know, all of us sitting here going, how has this not happened yet? It's ridiculous. I remember the first time we ever talked about it was when the kicker that had a YouTube channel, (laughs) was it UCF? Uh, I think so, yeah. they, They told him he couldn't, have the YouTube channel and he's like all right fuck it I'm done playing football <laughs> I'm just gonna do my YouTube channel and we're sitting there like are you kidding me so those two for me were like okay I mean th- it's sad that that hasn't already happened for sure uh you know obviously the current event ones are COVID-19 protections I mean come on guys like that that should easily be signed off of you know you obviously the waivers for liability if right. a player gets uh, come on, you can't have them signing that. Like I said, there's a lot on here and racial injustice in college sports and society. You know, that's an, a great one that needs to be there needs to be significant progress on that. But it also goes back for me to the medical coverage one is like this has taken way too long. I'm just reading this and it kind of made it almost made me sad. And like I said, we've spoken out about it before on the show, but maybe not enough. And I think when you look at it, it just if you have the time, it's not that long. Go through and read it, and you'll find yourself saying, damn, they're asking for things that human beings should have the right to. And it just shows that college athletes are not being treated like human beings, to be honest with you. No, that's absolutely it. And I'm, uh, you know, the name of this podcast is Stick to Football, which was always meant to be tongue in cheek. And to me, it's like amazing that having watched a lot of the NIL uh, Senate hearings to watch those congressmen and those senators who sit there and like these players don't deserve to be paid. I don't know how anyone could vote for that person who's like, uh, this person doesn't need to be paid or to see, you know, the Doug Gottliebs of the world sit there and scholarship and a degree is enough. Like, you know what, man? Like 
that's not enough. Look at how much money these players are making or that Stanford uh, uses the pandemic to shut down all basically women's sports when they have a $27 billion endowment. Like that's bullshit that, oh, well, it's a scholarship or your NIL money. How is that how is that fair for the kicker at UCF who might make $400 a month off of a YouTube channel and you're going to tell him he has to cash in his scholarship for that? It's not an either or situation. It's just, "Hey, do you love college football?" Yes. Should the players then be taken care of? Absolutely. No one is saying they should be signing $500 million Patrick Mahomes deals, but NIL allows the free market to take care of this. Trevor Lawrence is going to make some bank. You know, Mac Jones at Alabama, not as much, but he's going to make a little bit. Uh, and then there are other... find a way know, in Tuscaloosa. Right, yeah, I'm sure he be fine. The thing is, like, no one is saying these guys are going to be salaried. It's just giving them an opportunity to market themselves as athletes and so that they can make some money. Uh, the thing for me is, like, it's just equality all over again with college football and what we're trying to do with all these social justice movements. If you're an... 4.0 mathlete, you can go and do some tutoring or help out or do a YouTube page and make as much money as you want, even though you're on scholarship with the university. But if you're on scholarship with the university and you're a football player, your ass better not be taking any other money. It just doesn't make sense. We should be letting these guys uh, make a little bit of money on the side. It doesn't have to come from the schools. And, you know, are there going to be corrupt you know, boosters putting a little extra money in the pockets of these players? Yep. Guess what there already is? Corrupt boosters putting money in the pockets of these players. I've seen a lot of Alabama players rolling around in convertibles. I've seen Texas players like Chris Sims talk about $100 handshakes. This yeah. shit is going to happen regardless. It, and when it does, I think you can put some stuff in place to say, uh, this is how we're going to help this situation. Or if corruption does arise and they, you can figure out a way to stop it, do it then. Uh, it's not going to be a perfect system when you roll it out, but you can figure it out on the fly and, and help your players out. Because really, like I said earlier, they have no voice in this situation, and they haven't for a hundred years on this, and it, it is time for a change. It is amazing to me that it's the, well, there will be corruption. No shit. There's corruption in everything. Drugs are still illegal. Like, yeah. people still buy them, even though they're illegal. We still make them illegal. <laughs> right? Like, what? Yeah, of course there's going to be someone who uh, you you know is dishonest and tries to, you know, corrupt the system. That happens in literally everything. Like everything. So yes, it's going to happen. Crazy old white guy who's about to get voted out. We get it. Like stop. Like just it's amazing. You're right, Connor. It's sad to like look at this and be like, "Wait, they have to sign a waiver that says if they get COVID, they're like the university's not taking yeah, care of." Not them. our fault. Yeah. Tough which, luck. Amazing. It's uh, it's sad, honestly. It truly is. So hopefully, oh, and we see those changes. Thing. They have to sign these waivers without representation. You don't have like a yeah. lawyer or an agent that you can say, hey, will you look over this with me? Will you help me out here? And, you know, some families are going to be able to afford that and maybe say, uh, let's hire our own guy to take a look at this and see if it's something we want to sign. A lot of these guys aren't in a situation where they can afford that. And so they're not going to have any representation. It would be great if they did have a player's union or were able to have an agent or a lawyer working with them and say, yeah, this is something that we want changed. Uh, these waivers are bullshit, which they are, and then do it that way. But so far, that hasn't been the case. Absolutely. And I think going back to, you know, I think Matt and, and Melo, both of you guys have mentioned like Doug Gottlieb, or really anyone in the media that is so out, you know, against this, making name off of your your own name and brand, you know, not all these people 
grow up with food constantly on the table or not all of them go to school and leave behind a parent or parents that are doing okay. Some of them are single moms working two to three jobs with other siblings at home. Some of them are trying to get their life. Like there's just different circumstances where these, some of these kids are just trying to send back every extra dollar they have. Say, Say they get $500 for books, and books cost them $350 for that semester. And as a recent college grad, books do not cost $350 anymore. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. You know, they send back money. Not everybody's the same. I just think the perspective sometimes is way too narrow from a lot of people. And this is such a simple ask, making money off of your own name. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got to go through this because I, I think it's quietly one of the biggest things in the national news right now. It's not about sports all the way. It really is about it's really a national news story that almost needs more publicity. And I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes right now. Yeah, same. And mad respect to those Pac-12 players who had the courage to do this because uh, I've heard uh, I've heard from athletes. Uh, I imagine you guys have as well, where they're like, uh, I went to the coach and was like, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. And they were like, too bad. Like, who? No. So, uh, so the way college athletes are being treated right now, not great. And I want to skip ahead because that's a perfect segue to Caleb Farley, the junior corner from Virginia tech is the first big name to opt out of the 2020 season. I do not believe he will be the last name having spoken with agents and trainers. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be the last, but he is the first. And in Peter King's, uh, football morning in America article, there was, quotes from Caleb Farley about they were like at Virginia Tech and there were like a hundred people training indoors with no mask on he didn't feel safe having lost a mother to cancer and he said I want to live you know as long as I can with my dad I don't want to put him at risk so Caleb Farley has opted out Uh, I wrote about him last week you can check that out in the Bleach Report app summing it up Caleb Farley is really fucking good and he should be a top 15 pick and I love this move by him too and if I were going to advise some of these players you look at Caleb Farley, who's probably going to be a first-round pick because, as Matt said, he's really fucking good. But he's also making the right choice for his future. I don't think that he really needs to put more tape out there and risk being on the field. And this isn't a Trevor Lawrence Clemson situation. I, I love Virginia Tech. I don't think that they were going to be contending for an ACC nah. championship or national title this year. So if you know you bring in the guys from Alabama and Clemson and they want to come back and, and play for that Heisman Trophy or a national championship, good for them. But Caleb Farley and I, I think even maybe the other tackle that they have at Virginia Tech were just some guys kind of in this tier where our team's really not competing that well. And I have a chance to go really high in the draft. It's almost a no-brainer. And like you said, Matt, he's the first player. He won't be the last. I remember when people got pissed off that guys like Christian McCaffrey didn't play in their bowl game. And I feel like this has been in the the mix for a while now. Players talking about, oof, do I even really need to play my junior year? Uh, If you're a junior this year, I think the answer is no for a lot of those players. Uh, Matt's uh, guy that we talked about was Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase has nothing to play for this year. Like LSU is very good and and they'll reload. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I don't think they're going to be in the college football playoff. If I'm Jamar Chase, I have nothing left to prove at LSU. I could sit out right now, go start working out, maybe get a little heavier, a little faster, and then just be all set for the combine and all the off season stuff. So I think there are a lot of players that will eventually join Caleb Farley and decide to opt out of this season. Yeah, and this is a topic that goes right back into the nitty-gritty of this podcast, which is scouting. And this is a question that I think we've received of a lot of this summer. 
you know, how many players can afford to declare right now or before there's a season? And, and what kind of player is it? Caleb Farley is really exhibit A from like a non-quarterback perspective. You look at him and you go, all right, he's a tall corner. He's probably, you know, probably around like six one and a half, even though he's listed at six two. Great speed, great ball skills, tough, great underclassman film. He doesn't really have anything else to show in my eyes. We've seen him play at an elite level. We know he has elite athleticism, great size. He's just going to train and, and get ready for all the testing. And he plays what I would consider a premium position that goes in the first round in bunches over and over again. So uh, this is a perfect example of somebody that just, quite frankly, didn't need this college football season. And if he was allowed to declare last year, he should have. That's what it comes down to. You know, they obviously have the three-year rule where, you know, like it goes back to we had this conversation with Leonard Fournette a lot. Leonard Fournette at the time did not need another season of college football. He, he didn't. Whether you, you know, how you view him as an NFL player right now, he didn't really need to show anything else in the eyes of NFL scouts. So Caleb Farley is going to start this conversation of, hey, man, do I really need to go out there and risk it all this year in college football? If I'm Trevor Lawrence, if I'm Travis Etienne, if I'm Najee Harris, if I'm Sean Wade, which I guess Wade, you could argue, wants to show he could play outside corner. But still, once again, a really talented player. So there's a lot of guys like this. And honestly, guys, a lot of people sit here and go, hey, what, you know, what are we going to, what are the shows going to, what is the show going to talk about if there's just not football on every week? And it's like, well, there's going to be a lot of prospects to watch this yep. fall that aren't playing football that we need to talk about. And, and it starts with Caleb Farley. It does. And you mentioned a couple of guys there. And at times I'm asked to advise players. I'll be completely transparent. I have not been asked to advise these guys. But if I'm Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, if Gone. I'm Chuba Hubbard, if I'm Kylan Hill, Kylan Hill changed the state flag at Mississippi. That man has nothing left to accomplish in college. Chuba Hubbard with your coach's mullet in his OAN t-shirt, deuces Stillwater. I'm going to Exos and I'm trading for the draft. There is no way I would head back there and put my life at risk for that man. Ain't happening. And if I were Chuba, I, I'd be gone as well. The uh, Like the other guys, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, I, I think they came back to school for a reason. And they're really hungry for a national title or a Heisman. So I do think that we're going to see those guys play this year and more power to them. If they feel confident with Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and the protocols that are in place with those conferences – Go for it. But I, I think you're definitely right about Chuba Hubbard. Like, sorry, man. You've already had some situations with your coach this offseason. You really, you're another guy, like Connor said. You don't need another year of film. You rushed for 2,000 yards last year. You have proven speed. You have proven hands out of the backfield. You, like you said, Matt, go to Exos, work out, do the Caleb Farley thing. Uh, see you in the springtime. We don't need any more game film. Yeah. And I even look at Micah Parsons. And I love Micah Parsons. And I think Penn State's going to be a good team. Like, what does Micah Parsons have to prove? Nothing. Do you want him to play edge rusher more? Like what? He has nothing to prove. He is 6'3", 245, and he ran a four four three. He has nothing <laughs> left to and prove. And at one point this spring was listed as like the punt returner for yeah, Penn State. right. That's one thing I would like to see if he does play this year. Go ahead and put 11 back there. Let's see what it looks like. Yeah, man. I just I feel bad for these guys because it's tough because you love your teammates. You love your head coach. You love your university. And you don't want to be seen as a quitter. But at some point, it's like risk versus reward. And, and, 
One thing that I do hate though is pissed off fans being like, "Oh, you quit on your team." Did yeah, you mentioned that. that. I I fucking hate that. Like these guys are doing the best that they can. They're sitting down with their parents and advisors, and they're doing the best they can. Don't get pissed off at these twenty twenty one year old kids that, because they decide to sit out. The I've show. already said to Mello, and I'll say this to everyone: the first anonymous scout, you know the the. Un, unnamed scout the first one who like says something about Caleb Farley or any of these other players to me I will snap on them like it's <laughs> not, I'm not here for it like I don't want to oh he quit on his team he or, doesn't love football I will throat punch you the like, Marvin Wilsons of the world yes. the Chuba Hubbards there's yep. a lot of Kylan Hill. Hill people are already yep oh he's a distraction <laughs> I will fight you like I, I will unsocially distance to fight you I don't want to hear it this I will year. cough on you so hard exactly oh, okay let's move ahead before we get in trouble uh the SEC the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh are all going conference only the ACC adds Notre Dame and they're going for now with a, a 10 plus one which basically allows schools like Clemson to play South Carolina uh, we have yet to really see what the Big 12 is going to do uh, we do know their season starts August 29th they will be the first conference to start but as Mac Brown said College football needs a commissioner who's not Mark Emmert, who can actually like pull everyone together. And the problem with the NCAA, one of the problems with the NCAA, there is no governing body that makes decisions, which is why we're seeing, you know, the like the Pac-12, I think, starts a month after the Big 12 right now, at least as far as the schedules are, you know, August 4th. Yeah, and like you said with Mac Brown, he should be that guy. And I wrote an article about it recently, too. Like, he would be perfect. Your coaches and your players need representation with the NCAA. Mac Brown is the dude to do it. And I know that, like, North Carolina fans probably aren't ready to give him up yet. And I get it because we held on for a really long time at Texas. But I think that he would be perfect for representing the players and giving them a voice and figuring out what the hell is going on with all these schedules. Because, like, ACC, they're going with the 10 plus one. By the way, we've added Notre Dame. But now there's really no one to play in non-conference because you have all these other conferences going and saying we're conference only. So now you're going to beat up on somebody that's probably a lesser opponent. That's not going to help you at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the ACC even walk it back and just say, well, we're going 10 games. And I think that would be fine. And the Big 12 is supposed to be meeting like as we speak right now about what to do with their conference and their schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if they go nine plus one. They're the smallest conference. So they, they're trying to get to those 10 games. Yeah, you're going to beat up on a school like Missouri State. If you're Oklahoma, you're going to get your 10 wins and then probably play a conference I wonder, championship. I, say, I wonder if we see conference championships. That's the thing. Uh, I think Ooh, they have to question. have them. I really do because at some point – so like we're in Big 12 country, Melo. Uh, if Texas and Oklahoma play – during the regular season, but as we've seen two years ago, they finished with records that right. put them into the conference championship game. So you got to play again. Right. And for school, for places like the Big Twelve, where you don't have that, you don't have your divisions within your conference. Mm-hmm. You you have to like the Big Ten. It's obvious you're going to have to have a conference championship game. The Pac twelve, you're going to have to have a conference championship game. ACC going to have to have one. The ACC will, and they've already said too that Notre Dame's eligible for it, which is cool. And I get Notre Dame's whole "we're not joining a conference" thing. Join the fucking conference. Just do it. Like, just make the world easier. Just get in the ACC and stay there. Well, the ACC gets that Notre Dame money now. It all gets thrown into the pot. So it's a, it's a pretty smart move for them, and obviously. I don't think Notre Dame really had a choice here, right? I mean, you've got you got to go into conference play this year. I look at the Big 12. The one positive I'll say about them, even though they seem behind everyone right now, is I think Lincoln Riley has been 
probably the most transparent coach in college football at understanding and accepting what this virus is. And I think it's no coincidence that as last time I checked, they haven't had a player or staff member test positive. So it's clear and controlling this during an actual football season, playing other teams, it's not going to be that easy. And that's me putting it in the nicest way possible and the most optimistic way possible, but at least controlling internally for your program I think that's a good sign, and I think other programs should, should probably give him a call and figure out what they're doing right now. So it's going to be interesting. Conference play is uh, a best-case scenario, right, when we look at this, because let's not forget, guys, someone like the Big Ten, just because you're doing conference play doesn't mean that that travel's small at all. There's a lot of travel involved, and I think it's a bigger conversation we're going to have later in this show that when you look at the NFL schedule, is it really possible to, one, pull off a football season at all, and two, if you do it, can you have the normal amount of travel that you normally would? Uh, hint for my answer, I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing what's happening at baseball right now. where uh, and they're playing regional play. Yep, and, and they are traveling a little bit more than they will in football, but still, it's been an issue. And you mentioned Lincoln Riley. Uh, my man just got extended through 2025, $7.5 million per year for Lincoln Riley. So he's getting into that like Dabo Nick Saban territory in terms of money, which is it's well deserved. Uh unfortunately for the two Texas fans in the office, I think he's gonna be in Norman for a little bit longer. And I just want to bring up that like there's no money for the players. You talk about <laughs> seven and a half mil per year. Uh but nope, don't pay those players. They get their scholarship, Doug Gottlieb, they'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Let's speak at more players here. Uh one last thing on college football, then we're gonna transition this is just some NFL talk. Uh, there has been a lot of very smart people who are saying that the FCS should move to the spring. Uh, that means your North Dakota states. Uh, for us here locally, that means Missouri State. Some, some good programs in the FCS. A lot of people are saying, hey, they should just move to the spring. Give us spring football. It'll be safer then. Uh, it'll give us something on TV. And players like Trey Lance, Dylan Cadence, two of the top players at their positions for the 2021 NFL draft class have kind of raised their hand and been like, uh, guys, we want to play in the NFL. If you make us play spring football, what happens to that? And so while not a huge topic of discussion, I would just like to say like sometimes smart people can have bad ideas and asking the FCS to move to the spring is a really bad idea. I love like, okay, spring football would be amazing. I don't know what you do for these players that want to go to the Senior Bowl. They want to go to the Combine. They want to have pro days. Because as we saw last year, the NFL is not moving the draft unless they absolutely have to. So for the North Dakota States, who's gonna, if players declare, they're going to have two first-rounders. And would have had three if Jabril Cox hadn't left for LSU. Like, they're loaded. It's not fair to them to say, now you got to play in the spring. And I think for a lot of these players and a lot of the underclassmen, like it would work out if you move it to the spring. But like... Some of these guys that are being drafted, they need that senior tape to get them recognized with the NFL. You know, we have guys like at the Senior Bowl looking at them and, and finding them and then saying, okay, we're going to invite you up. But it usually takes that senior tape uh, until you're up there. Not everybody is the standout that Trey Lance is. So I like the idea of it. I just don't understand how you can make it happen because the NFL is not going to be flexible. We've, we've seen that. In our time off, they have done almost nothing. They have said, this is the schedule and we're sticking to it. Other than the canceled preseason games, they've just gone status quo. This is what we're doing. And, and I don't think they would change that. I think that maybe 
you could open up a supplemental draft for these guys. Uh, but I don't even know if the NFL would do that. They would probably just say you have to either sit out and, and do all the offseason uh, draft season stuff or just play and, and try to figure it out as you go. I don't think the NFL would help these guys out at all. I don't think so either. I'm pretty sure the NFL has a clause that the draft can't be moved any further than the first week of June. So say the best case scenario for these guys is that the draft is at the end of May. Your body after a full football season and recovery and then training for t- to get a pro day in the what the week before the draft. It- it's literally not possible to be even close to peak performance. And another low-key thing that a lot of people, I think, are neglecting in all of this, last time I checked, when those FCS teams, like when you turn on the TV and you see Gardner-Webb, I don't know, playing in LSU, and that's like a super random example, but a team like that, they make they take home a lot of money, guys, yes. in those games. That, that money is a difference maker for those programs. When those really small FCS schools get a Power 5 opponent, it can give them funding that is colossal for the program. You move to the spring, that's gone. There's no Power 5 teams playing in the spring as of now, as we do this podcast. So there's a lot of problems here where it's not as easy as just snapping your fingers like the Ivy League did and say, eh, we got to move to the spring. And guess what? If they do, no chance in hell Trey Lance should play football this year. No, no way. No way at all. And, like, just go out with no interceptions on your resume. You know, just say, I'm good. Someone will take you in the top ten. It doesn't Oh, without matter. a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, Josh Allen was a top ten pick uh, from a small school with much worse tape. Yeah, you no, would be. A lot more interceptions. A lot more interceptions. You would be just fine. You guys ready for some NFL talk? Hell yeah. So, Connor, I had the uh, pleasure, I guess you would call it, of spending every fucking day this summer with Mello, which is, is great when you're... You, you make it sound so <laughs> enticing. <laughs> like, it's great. God, it's great. So I had to be with this motherfucker. Uh, sorry, Mom. When Patrick Mahomes signed his $500 million contract, and then I had to be with him when they signed Chris Jones as well. And, like, Mello's, like, obviously, hence the nickname, pretty low-key. Doesn't get worked up about things. The Mahomes and Chris Jones days, uh, and we were on vacation for both. Those were big days for Mello. He was very excited. So, uh, I just want to gloat about the fact that your quarterback not only got half a billion dollars, he now is part owner of the Royals and is living the best life of anyone in the world. Like, if I could have written a book when I was, like, 10 on things I would like to do in my life, Pat Mahomes is living all of them. And I think it's great. I, obviously, the huge contract is amazing. And with Pat Mahomes, I think we all knew that the Chiefs weren't going to let him just walk. Like, they picked up his fifth-year option. I felt pretty good about them keeping him around in Kansas City for a while. But the fact that it's going to be, like, 12 more years and that we saw this guy take the richest contract in sports history, I, I felt like it was deserved based off what we've seen so far. But the fact that the dude said he left money on the table so that they could sign Chris Jones as well. Chris Jones was actually the more exciting signing for me because I knew Mahomes was going to stay around. I knew they were going to find out a way to work that out. And really, the Chiefs had zero leverage. Mahomes just walked into that front office and said, pay me this. Then the Chiefs just had to say, like, okay, (laughs) that's that's all. That's the end of conversation. But bringing in Chris Jones and was a surprise. I, I didn't know if it was going to happen. Even this late, I thought he might play on the franchise tag. I, I thought they might try to move him for some picks. But having him come back is great. And then 
like I said, the big thing is that Mahomes signs half a billion dollar contract and then calls up his teammate and says, hey, I left enough money on the table for you. Absolutely amazing. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, everything that was done here was perfect, starting with the Mahomes deal, right? Like, you look at the money, and everybody starts screaming, oh, my God, 500 mil. And, like, you look at the structure of the deal, the fact that no matter what the NFL Top 100 tells you, that this is the best player in football right now by a a pretty big margin. (laughs) It sounds biased when I say it. I'm glad you can back it up. It was honestly hilarious, the entire thing. It always is. I just like how mad everyone gets. I mean, the best player in football, and honestly, there's a lot of clauses in this deal where both Pat and the Chiefs can get out at times, where it's not like they're handicapped if something goes wrong on either side. It's, it just seemed like a great deal for both sides, and great on Pat for recognizing that the version of him on their defense needs to be around a long time for them to continuously go back to Super Bowls, right? Like, if you're Mahomes, you don't want to have to be going there and going, God, I got to put up 50 today or we are not going to win because Chris Jones makes Frank Clark a better player. Chris Jones is just a complete disruptor on the inside and honestly doesn't get enough credit for the level of player he's turned into. It's just a really well-done job, and I think – while at times I've questioned Veach's drafts since he got the GM title, which was after picking Mahomes, I think that their handling of the salary cap right now is really, really impressive to put together a roster that, let's be real, when you factor in continuity, this team is the f- clear-cut favorite to win the Super Bowl this year, getting both of these guys back right now. and. It's just a really, really well done job by, honestly, everybody involved. Yeah, and, you know, John Dorsey fired not because he couldn't draft, but because he couldn't manage the cap. And Brett Veach comes in and uh, has, uh, they're definitely been questionable draft picks. I think you can look at guys like Breland Speaks who haven't contributed and be like, hey, what's going on here? But then you see the moves, you know, to trade for Frank Clark and get him locked up, uh, to get Chris Jones locked up, and then to get Patrick Mahomes there. Also, you know, bringing in guys like the Honey Badger in free agency. So they've done a great job. And I agree, in a, in a season that is, there's so many question marks, especially about, you know, we would normally be having a preseason game tonight and camp is just starting. So a season that's going to be truncated in terms of prep, the Chiefs bringing back like 21 of 22 starters uh, bodes pretty well for them uh, as a repeat champ. Now from one favorite team to another, Connor, your New York Jets have had a summer, buddy. And uh, it's been from Woody Johnson allegedly saying that he did not want to attend a Black uh, History Month event to him saying that, Black fathers not staying in their children's lives is the, a big problem, not actually racism, but that the dads are running out. Woody Johnson saying this, not me, uh, to maybe probably colluding to get uh, the, the British Open played at one of yeah. President Trump's courses. People forget about that part of it. Uh, and then Jamal Adams gets traded and C.J. Mosley opts out. So it's been, like, I know as a Mets fan, like, summer is stressful for you anyway. <laughs> like, this is just making it, I imagine uh, your uh, bench press max is through the roof dealing with this frustration. It's unfortunately, I guess, not really surprising, right? Like, when you look at it, the Woody thing is pretty simple to me, where if these accusations are true, and, I mean... Like me or not, I lean on the side that they are. Sorry, that's just 
I mean, I have my own reasons why I believe they're true. I can't expand on them on this podcast, unfortunately, but I'll leave you with that. If they're true, Woody should be forced to sell the team. There's no, but there's no Dan Snyder. There's no, Woody should be forced to sell the team. This is a gigantic issue. It's problematic. And Woody Johnson has a ton of problems. Obviously, this is at the top of the food chain like no other. This is an issue where you should absolutely be forced to sell if they're true. There's a lot of problems with the Jets, guys. There's rumors of cash flow, cash problems, which is why they're sitting on almost $35 million in cap space right now with needs everywhere on the roster and guys available in free agency that they haven't shown any interest in. So there I believe the cash rumors, right? I mean when you look at it, there's a lot of issues with the Johnson family. I'm very this is a story that needs to be monitored because like I said, if the accusations are true, there is no way Woody can still own this football team. So that it's an interesting story to follow. As for Jamal, which we have to talk about, I mean this was it actually was a good ending to what was an ongoing mess for a while, right? Like, Seattle gets what they think is their new camp chancellor, and Jamal seems happy with the move. The Jets get what I thought was just an insane overpay for a safety. Uh, and I and I am the biggest Jamal Adams fan on the field. Uh, i not the biggest fan on social media anymore. I think it reached <laughs> a point where, I mean, people in the locker room were bothered. It, got it, it felt like almost... It, they felt disrespected, and I think that's wrong to do to your teammates, even when you're trying to take care of yourself, which he still isn't getting paid. It, <laughs> I, I think for the Jets, for Joe Douglas, I, I don't know how you come away with a decent player in Bradley McDougal, but more importantly, two ones and a three for a player that has had a foot out the door much longer than people realize. This was going on before the trade deadline last year. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I thought even uh, the game you and I went to together, the Browns-Jets game, there were times where it's like, what, what's Jamal doing? And I, again, I'm a oh, huge, that was a bad one. huge Jamal fan. Him. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, man, like, what, what, what? Is he, like, trying? And, I mean, I'll, I don't think Connor can say this. Uh, you could if you wanted. I'll say it. I know I talked to Jets players who thought he freelanced too much, that he was just out there playing for himself. Absolutely. That he was just, you know, trying to pad his stats so he could be all pro. Now, I don't know if that's true. And, you know, Jamal uh, should have the, the you know, opportunity to answer those criticisms. And, and maybe he just wants to move on. But um, I am a big Jamal Adams fan. I do not believe he is the best safety in football. So getting a two first and a third, and Bradley McDougal for him is uh, it's a lot. That is a lot for a – and I don't want to call him just a box safety. I, I have definitely said that before. I think he's a little more versatile than that. But Joe Douglas, who we haven't really seen yet how well he can draft, I think we're waiting to see what some of these picks become. But he has a fantastic reputation as one of the best scouts in football. He was near the top of GM wish list for a couple of years before he got the Jets job. So I think if you give Joe Douglas that much ammunition, which – probably going to be somewhat early round picks uh, the Jets original ones now you add in this like you have trade capital you have a chance to get multiple starters out of the 2021 and 2022 drafts as a like as a Jets fan and even as a neutral observer you got to be pretty stoked about what could be coming down the pike you know as you look for corners pass rushers receivers uh, probably don't need to draft another safety at this I, point. I actually, I think the Jets are pretty all set at safety. I think yeah. Ashton Davis can be a guy that slides there in. And Marcus May can even probably take the Jamal Adams role. And you know, for anybody that's pissed off, like, oh, why did we trade our our guy on defense? 
what's the first thing you do on Madden? Like you're in a rebuild. <laughs> like that's all he's doing here. You're getting picks. And if anybody offers you two first round picks for, I would say probably any safety in the NFL right now, you have to take that. And oh, by the way, they're going to throw in another safety. that's pretty damn good too. Like you just have to. And I understand it from the Seahawks point of view. I wouldn't say they lost this trade at all. You get a difference maker on defense exactly. that you really need. And that you've been logging for since Cam Chancellor left. And he's obviously a perfect fit. But if you're Joe Douglas and you're the Jets, you want your opportunity to bring in your guys and build this team. And I know the Jets went 7-9 and nine last year, but it does feel like a rebuild. Like you're still trying to fill all these holes. And like Connor said earlier, you're sitting on a lot of money and your owners don't want to spend it. Maybe you're going to have to do it through the draft. And so now for the next couple of years, you have a lot of draft capital. Maybe Joe Douglas can turn this thing around with some draft picks and maybe getting a new head coach in there sometime would be great too. I think my take on it that sums it up best guys was I would have done this trade a year ago before everything happened. Like when Jamal Adams was the face of the defense, I still would have done this trade because they have no edge pass rush. They have no cornerback number one. They have no wide receiver one. They still need a right tackle. Sure, it's exciting with Mekhi Becton. You need a right tackle of the future. This team has a lot of needs right now. And that kind of haul for a player that, sorry, they're 16-32 and 32 since he's been drafted. And Jamal's great. He's an all-pro. He's an awesome player. He's going to be great for Seattle. The problem is the Jets weren't going anywhere right now. And for Joe Douglas, he, Jamal becoming... A distraction. I mean, you can't release an exclusive article through the New York Daily News, destroy the coach and the GM in the same article, and expect that this season could just go on. It's not going to happen. So, honestly, this was the best possible outcome. Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, for both sides. In Seattle, they're primed to make a deep run. I think uh, as a Niner fan, a lot of 49ers fans get get mad at me when I say that. But I don't know if you guys remember those two games last year. They were really, really close. And Seattle still has Russell Wilson. And now they have Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. So, like, they're going to be a force in the NFC West that we have to deal with. Uh, now, as uh, Connor said, I completely agree that if these comments that Woody Johnson allegedly made are true, he should have to sell the team just like Jerry Richardson did, just like Donald Sterling did, and just like I believe – Daniel Snyder should have to do. Daniel Snyder, while not named directly, uh, and this story like completely went away, by the way. The Washington Post comes out with this explosive report that I believe 15 uh, women, uh, plus two reporters, I believe, so 17 women, said that there was a culture there with uh, people in the scouting department, people in the media department of sexual harassment, sexual assault. And and these women were going a record, which, again, you want to talk about courage. That's it, because you're probably going to see these people again down the road to go on record. I, I think just speaks to how terrible that situation was that they felt like they had to put a name behind a voice. So Daniel Snyder's uh, people below him as lieutenants accused of this and on top of it the team changes the name. And right now they're the Washington football team, which is what we've been calling them for several, several years at Bleacher Report. But thanks to the pressure of FedEx, Nike, and Pepsi, Daniel Snyder will be changing the name of his football team. Uh, I, I think it's it's been talked about uh, so many times that it needed changed. The amount of Native Americans who found it offensive uh, was enough. Like, yes, you could find people who were okay with it. Enough people were offended by this that it needed changed. 
I would like to uh, go on record and advocate for the Red Tails as the new team name in Washington. Uh, pay homage to the Tuskegee Airmen. It's a badass mascot. The We've uniforms some, look great. Yeah, some logo mock-ups that look pretty cool. It just too. makes sense. It does. And with Daniel Snyder, like you talk about Woody Johnson maybe has to sell the team. I think this is another situation where you have to look at what happened in-house there. And I think I even saw reports of him saying, like, I had no idea any of this was going on. Well, you should have, because that's your responsibility as the owner, as the top person within that building. You have to know what's going on. And if you hear reports of this stuff, you have to do something about it. You can't just sit on it. So, I mean, the Jets probably had a bad offseason. The Washington football team has probably had an even worse one. And hopefully their next owner does get to do the right thing and change this name. And I'm with you, Matt. I'm going Red Tails all the way. It even seems like Dwayne Haskins is like on board with the Red Tails thing. And I think it just makes a lot of sense for him. I think so, too. And I think, I mean, this is a long overdue rebranding. There is no secret about that. I think when you look at it, it's interesting how uh, corporate money moves the needle when all is said and done for this to get done. And I think when you look at Washington, I think my big takeaway here is, there's a lot on the plate right now for Ron Rivera here, guys. Yeah. And, and I think he's the right guy to do it. I really do. I just think when you look at everything that's gone down right now, he's coming into a situation where it's like, you know, he's well-respected around the league. He's a great person. I think it's it's a big task that's bigger than football. It, whether it's, you know, it's obviously long overdue, but hopefully now that it's happening, things finally move in the right direction. And I think the difference here. And Matt, I think you said this on Twitter too. The difference between the Woody Johnson situation and this is that, I mean, I think we're all safely say it's hard to imagine Dan Snyder not knowing those awful things going on, but the story didn't directly link him. Yeah. While the Woody story, it's about Woody. It's not about anyone else. It's about Woody. And I think that's why I, I don't see a scenario right now where Dan Snyder is going to be forced to sell the team. I just, I just don't now, whether I mean, it's just all terrible. What went on there. And once again, Ron Rivera is just, he's tasked with a big time operation uh, to, to get going in the right direction away from football. Yeah, it is uh, like the most interesting thing to me is that it is that point that like Woody is the one being accused of these things. Uh, Daniel Snyder is just more like he should be held accountable for the the workplace culture. And like with Jerry Richardson, he was accused of, you know, like the Gene Fridays and some of the other things that went on there. Um, I, I, so I do think that that is that is there's a layer of almost insulation there. I would not be surprised if we see those minority owners somehow like overthrow him, like execute a a coup. I haven't watched Succession in a while. It's been off air, but like, there's got to be a way to like have the board take over for Daniel Snyder. Maybe Ron Rivera takes over. I don't know. Uh, the Rock just bought the XFL. Maybe he can buy the Washington football team as well. So one thing we are seeing, guys, as of Monday morning, 43 NFL players have opted out of the 2020 season. They'll get paid $150,000. Uh, they will stay home. They're not able to play at any point during the season. And there have been some big name players. I would argue uh, the biggest of those names is C.J. Mosley, the middle linebacker for the New York Jets, uh, who has not played a whole lot there. Uh, we have not seen any quarterbacks opt out, but the New England Patriots have like eight or nine players. They definitely lead the league in players who've opted out. And it's like Bill Belichick values smart veterans. 
And on the flip side of that, smart veterans have won championships. <laughs> they have money. Right. So, like, what are the, the two things you play football for? A ring and money. Like, Dante Hightower has both. Yeah, Patrick Chung it. has both. They're good. Nate Solder, New York Giants. He has a ring. He has, like, $70 million in the bank. These are the players who are opting out. And I think it's... I don't know what Bill Belichick is going to do this season. I, I said this the other day. I feel like Belichick has mind-fucked us all to the point that we're like, oh, he's like... He's doing this on purpose. And then last year in the playoffs, it was like, they're sucking on offense. Just wait till the playoffs. You're going to turn it on. They're going to figure it out. And they didn't. They got bounced. So I, I don't know if Belichick is losing some of that Midas touch where everything he, he, everything he does is gold. But the Patriots are in trouble a little bit. I I think with the Patriots, it is. It's always in the back of your mind. Are these guys scheming? Like, is this something that Belichick has just drawn up and like, this is what we're going to do this year? Now, I will say... There's no way in hell Belichick is tanking. And I honestly, I, I don't think I can get on board with the conspiracy theory that like these players have come in together and been like, nope, we're going to do this. We're going to sit out and we're going to take a huge pay cut because old Bill Belichick told us we should. I don't think that's the case. And I don't think I will ever live in a world where Belichick is trying to tank for anything. I think that he has a lot to prove and wants to try to do it this year without Tom Brady. I, I don't think that he let him walk with some grand scheme of like, oh, we're going to get Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that maybe a little bit of arrogance come in, comes into play where he says, I can do it without Tom Brady. But I, I do not believe that he's tanking. And I don't think that we ever will. This dude has eight Super Bowl rings. He is the greatest coach in NFL history. He's not tanking for anything. Absolutely not. And to assume that <laughs> players are opting out in a scheme of tanking, I mean, Hightower, I think, was due $8 million this year. And sure, it's still on the table for next year. And to kind of give a breakdown, and this question has come up a lot, the contracts get pushed. The money doesn't get wiped off the table. Sure, it saves your cap this year, but the contract gets pushed a further year. So say CJ Mosley's deal was really up after 2022, then it'd be up after 2023. Now these guys are protecting themselves and their families. They're not thinking about like, how can my team get a first a top 10 pick to get Trevor Lawrence? So I think when you look at that, it's pretty wild, but like Matt said very well, New England has smart players that have rings that have money that they've probably saved that honestly, they probably know they'll be welcomed back by Bill Belichick next year. Like, Patrick Chung has clung on to New England for a decade. They love Hightower's, I think Chris Long said this, Hightower's the smartest player or the biggest leader that New England's had in the last decade, in the middle of that defense. Like, those guys are coming back. C.J. Mosley's guaranteed a ton of money. They're not moving on from C.J. Mosley next year. So for guys like that, it's like, and Marcus Cannon is a cancer survivor. So yeah. it's a different a ball one. game, right? You know what I mean? Like, you look at this, and I'll say this. By the time you're listening to this show, or by the time we record the next Stick to Football this week, I think this list is going to get a lot longer. I do, too. I don't think we're to the bottom yet. The thing is, we haven't seen a quarterback opt out. Uh, meanwhile, Matthew Stafford and Gardner Minshew uh, have both been put on their team's COVID list. So I, I, I do – it's just – the players, uh, the deadline keeps being moved. I think it's the fifth now. I, I don't think we're done with the, the number of players who are going to opt out. Uh, okay, a couple more contracts, and then we're going to do a ton of draft-on-draft draft questions. Miles Garrett gets 
just completely handed a bag of cash. And then Joey Bosa gets an even bigger one. And so I, TJ Watt, your next buddy, it's going to be great. Uh, it is fantastic to see Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa, two very, very early draft picks, which like we can't forget how much of a crapshoot draft picks are. But for both these players to live up to the hype, as when when each player came out, they were like, this is the best pass rusher I've ever seen. This is the best pass rusher I've ever seen. They're actually living up to that. They're both playing exceptionally well, and now they're both making over $100 million. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And we used to see this with quarterbacks. It was one guy would sign, and then like a week later, we would get a new one signed, and they would reset the market. And I don't think we'll see that with quarterbacks for a while now, but we are going to see it with the defensive players. And it was even J.J. Watt tweeted out probably just like the eye emoji at his brother, TJ Watt. Like that's the next guy who's going to get paid and deservingly so. And then it's going to be a Nick Bosa and then probably Chase Young. Like it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger as these guys prove themselves and as this position really establishes itself as a top two or three position in the NFL. And because he plays for the Chargers, I still think Joey Bosa is one of the most underrated players yes. in the entire league. And you know what? Maybe this contract actually opens eyes. We're like, oh, shit. <laughs> if he's getting paid like that, maybe he's way better than I realized. But I, you watch him and Ingram play. They're probably, besides the guys the Packers have, uh, the, you know, the Smiths, Darius, and Preston, they're probably the best edge rush duo in the league right now. And we'll see what Bradley Chubb does in his return, you know, with Von Miller. I know Von didn't have the numbers he usually had last year, but he's, he's still Von. Uh, Joey Bosa is just... It's incredible. Nick got a lot of pub last year because he's a rookie and the Niners were awesome and Nick's great. But Joey Bosa is, I mean, he's a top five edge right now. Yeah. And and, My- and Miles Garrett to me is, uh, let me put it like this. If, if someone asked me, hey, you could take one edge in the NFL to have on your team you're starting today. Who do you take? And I take Miles Garrett every time. Yeah, so I would too. And I'm obviously a Nick Bosa guy uh, now that he's a Niner, but I would take Miles Garrett. Just the athleticism, the length, the conversion, the speed to power conversion. Um, I kind of like that he's not afraid to swing a helmet at somebody. Like, there's a lot that goes into that that table, Miles Garrett. But uh, his first three years were just rock star good. Now maybe Chase Young gets to that level. I think it's definitely possible, but. Given the proven nature, and Miles Garrett's not that old, that that would be my guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 24, 25 years old. His first three years in the in the league, he's had 30 and a half sacks. And that's playing some shortened seasons. Didn't he miss half the year last year? He played 10 games last year, had 10 sacks. So I, I think that his best football is probably still in front of him. And even his rookie year, like, came in and had seven sacks, only played in 11 games. So I, I think that this is a guy who really is going to be double-digit sack guy probably for the rest of his career. Like, he's going to Bruce Smith this thing. I, I I don't know if you've seen any pictures of him. Dude's built like a Greek god. I think that the longevity is going to be there. And then he does everything you want a pass rusher to be. He is literally prototypical pass rusher. Everything you want, he can do. So good for him to get paid. Smart move by the Browns locking this guy up too. And now with the Joey Bosa signing... Looks like a pretty cheap deal, even. Yeah, it's like, oh, you got a discount. Yeah. The- and I think when you look at Miles Garrett, you know, once again, the age. He doesn't turn 25 till the final week of this season, the end of December, after Christmas. That's jarring to me. The other thing is, yeah, he had 10 sacks in 10 games. I watch Miles Garrett and I go, he can get better. Like, and he's great, right. but he has the potential still to be even better. And if you get him some help on that defensive line, too, if you can start to add some pieces around him where you don't just have to worry about 
Miles Garrett all the time, I think that could really help him too. Some interior pass rush or support or somebody to clog up some blockers. That will help Miles Garrett free up too. Yeah, they have Sheldon Richardson now, and they drafted Jordan Elliott. Ogunjobi. Yeah, and Ogunjobi. So they who's going to probably get paid after this year. Yeah, I would think so too. My this is not on the rundown. If Cleveland is bad this year, it will shock me. And I like I know I said this last year. There is no reason that team should be bad. I feel like you're baiting me to say something bad about their quarterback. I mean, if they're bad this year, it's probably going to fall on him because there's no reason they should be bad. So yeah, obviously I'm the Baker hater on the show, and I've voiced that opinion many times and i've seen your reviews i think cleveland's set up to have a very good year again like i bought into the hype last year i really like the way that this team is built though and with bringing in the new coaching staff like it's perfect fit run two tight ends run the shit out of nick chubb and they should be a very good football team i don't think we're gonna see jarvis landry or odell beckham have these huge seasons from two great receivers but I think it's going to mean more wins as long as Baker can take care of the football. And I think that he can. If Kirk Cousins can run this offense, there's no reason why Baker Mayfield can't. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, you, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Matt. No, I say we're going to have to like do our, our NFL breakdowns because there's not a whole lot to talk about right now. So uh, there's going to be a lot of like NFC North preview coming real soon, I think. I, when you look at Stefanski's offense, I like that you brought that up, Melo. Like, I don't know if I'm buying all the way into OBJ and Jarvis this year. I look at Stefanski's offense and I go, all right, Nick Chubb, probably going to be the best running back in football this year in terms of production, or at least I think should be, and the tight ends. And it's and I think that's better for Baker Mayfield. Yes, much better. And David Njoku even said, like, I'm all in with Cleveland. He's playing this year, which I think is a really good move for him. I think that he can learn some things behind Austin Hooper, and he's still athletic enough to get healthy he could establish himself as the number one tight end on this team very quickly. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what Cream Hunt does. Like I, Nick Chubb's the man. He was great last year. We've had Nick on. Love him. Uh, I'm anxious to see what, how they use both those guys because that could be a very— It's a very good problem to have. That's for damn right? sure. Absolutely is. Okay, how about draft on draft? It's been a long time because even before the draft, when we transitioned to STF Live— we weren't really doing a lot of draft on draft questions. So we, number one, would like to apologize for We've that. We've gone from like three questions on draft on draft to it looks like you have like 30. Yeah, I, I grabbed a lot of them in there. And uh, it's 10, 10 in the morning here. So no cracking a beer for me uh, yet. I don't know that that will yeah, last just very wait long. Till next episode. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So let's just kick it off here with one of the OG stickies, Anthony Mongaloosa, our guy. Uh, so many questions, uh, but his first one, how will only having conference play affect how teams are ranked throughout the season in college football? So happy the boys are back. I think those college football rankings are going to be more than ever based on reputation than play. Like if you're number one early, you're going to have to lose to to drop that because like Clemson, uh, Notre Dame is going to give them a tough game. The rest of the ACC is not. It's like Clemson's going to be ranked very high early, maybe number one, and they have a great road to just keep that. Like Outside of the SEC, like even Oklahoma, they're going to be ranked high. No one in the Big 12 is going to be able to challenge them. Sorry, Texas. They're going to stay ranked high. And that's kind of my take, too, is that this is going to be status quo. Like those offseason, or sorry, not offseason, the non-conference schedule is really cool. And I was looking forward to seeing Texas, LSU, and you know, Oregon and North Dakota State. But really, like when we start to figure out who these teams are and we get our accurate projections, it's based on conference play. And spoiler alert, 
Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma are probably going to be in the college football playoff. We've already figured out like who the top teams are. We'll see how the season shakes out. Maybe we get some surprises in there. But I think the rankings are going to be just as accurate as they always are, which is usually not very for a while. I think when you look at it, you know, it's if you like look at Clemson, like Matt said, say they fall flat and just play a bad game against Notre Dame. Are we going to look at it and go, how can we have Clemson? And now it's hard to even talk about a playoff, but let's just assume, right? A college football playoff. I know we always say like losses are are so impactful for those projected top teams, but maybe they're even more impactful because your opportunities to get big time strength wins are few and far between now, right? Like we don't have Alabama versus USC. And and if you're listening to that and raising an eyebrow, USC is going to be very, very good this year. That was a big game. That was a game that was not going to be a layup for Alabama. I think there's a lot of matchups that we now lose that, you know, propel teams or, or can can lock them in. So I think when you look at the conference play, it, an upset can kill you. It can really kill you. And, and I know people sit there and go, well, it can always kill you. But, I mean, we saw Georgia bounce back from an upset last year. Like, you could deal with it and move on because uh, of your out-of-conference big strength wins. I don't know if you can afford that this year. Yeah, the SEC is going to be – they're just going to beat the hell out of each other. and That too. The, the Big Ten might as well. Like I, I do think Penn State is going to be tough. Like in the SEC, like Florida is going to be good this year. Georgia is oh, yeah. going to be good this year. It's not just Alabama. It's not just uh, Auburn. It's not just LSU. Like that, that conference is going to be very, very good this year. And normally like one loss, eh, you got a chance to make it up with another marquee game. Like – uh, you know, LSU, Texas not happening for us or like Alabama, USC not happening or Notre Dame. Uh, who Didn't Notre Dame have a big game as well? Well, it was Clemson. Clemson. Oh, they so still, still do. They still get it. Okay, never mind. So Notre Dame, Clemson will be okay. But like, I think the rankings are just going to be very boring this year. They probably won't matter until the end. Not that they ever do, but they, I, they really I think with matter. the rankings, it gives those teams that are outside of the top five or the top ten a chance to say, hey, you know, we beat Texas, who was a number nine ranked team. And that helped LSU kind of propel themselves and get on the national scene. But I really think you establish who you are as a team once you get into conference play. And that's why we see, you know, these blue blood programs. I don't think anybody in the SEC is going to beat Alabama. I think they're going to be all set this year. They're going to roll. We don't have to worry about them beating up on the Citadel this year. I do agree with Connor, though. That USC game was going to be huge because going back to scouting and the draft, whew, they have some receivers this year and next year, and their quarterback is young. Year two with this new offense with the run and shoot I think USC could be really good, and it does suck that we won't get that game, but I do think things will shake themselves out kind of naturally with the conference-only play. All right, next up, Andrew Magnuson. The NBA's bubble has so far proven to be a massive success. While the NFL is an entirely different animal, could they do something similar? And if so, what could that look like? So Melo and I do a local radio show, and we've been advocating for Football Island, where like we would have just bought Puerto Rico and made it like just play football there. Or something similar, like uh, in Dallas, there are enough major colleges NFL fields and high school stadiums that cost like $100 million, you have enough quality stadiums within Dallas Metro that you could have isolated people 
in a bubble, uh, and that worked. I did read this morning that like the New Orleans Saints are basically doing, while not a bubble, they are isolating their players. They're giving them, like they're taking over a hotel, and the players are supposed to stay there. The Carolina Panthers, they have enough suites in their stadium that each player gets a suite, and it's like theirs. And they go, and like that's where they have their meetings, and like, so like if you're one of the 80 players that made it to camp, like Teddy's got his own suite, and that's where he spends most of his day, and he's isolated. So I think teams are being creative, but short of buying Puerto Rico and putting football fields there, I, I think you have to find those ways to isolate while not completely well, cutting it, you off from your family. We're getting a little late in the year for them to actually – plan anything different I, I hope that the NFL is sitting there and they're looking at MLB and looking at how disastrous this season has been just you know what eight games in so far I think that it really it's a lot of responsibility for the players like you can say quarantine social distance wear your mask all that stuff it takes one guy going out and getting some wings at a strip club to come back and say whoops now we're all infected and that was the thing with like the Marlins you, you have players going out or the Cardinals going to to casinos, and then they're coming back in-house, and things spread. And if NFL players do that, there are a lot more NFL players on a team than there are in baseball. You're going to have to keep each other in check. So what can the NFL do? Probably not Football Island, but you're going to have to do some social distancing, and maybe, maybe quarantine away from your family members. And, and as bad as that would suck, like I would hate to go without seeing my kids, but maybe that's if you want to play a full football season, that's something that you have to do. NBA players are doing it. It's working very well. But I still think that the travel is going to be tough. You're only doing it once a week. That's nice. But still, like, what are these players doing when they're not practicing? What are they doing when they're not with their families? Are they going out? Are they interacting with a lot of people? Because if they are, I think we're going to struggle to see a full slate of football games this fall. I think so, too. I think it's very scary right now, and I think the NFL just dragged their feet too much here, guys. And I understand, like, a lot of people are yelling right now, why didn't baseball do a bubble? And the problem was the MLBPA really had no interest in that, right? And it's tough. Like you said, Melo, a lot of guys don't want to go without seeing their kids. A lot of guys don't want to be away from their families. There's a lot of logistical hurdles with that. But I think where the NFL has made a colossal mistake, and there's still time to fix this, is that there needs to be regional play. It's a different year. Let's call it what it is, right? Like, I watch baseball, and I'm still mad that the Mets lose all the time. But I'm also sitting here and going, there's seventh-inning doubleheaders. Half the league in my fantasy lineup isn't playing today because they're postponed due to COVID cases. It's not the real thing. It's just entertainment right now to get us back to a real baseball season next year. The NFL really needs to swallow their pride here, and what I would propose, I would do regional divisions for one year right now. If you can't have a bubble, and if you can't even have regional bubbles, you need to be able to do same-day travel. You can't stay at hotels. You need to fly in on game day and fly home after the game. It's how it has to be. And if you open the NFL map, in my eyes, it's pretty feasible. Yeah. You look at it and you go, okay, East Coast of one East Coast division is New England, the Jets, Giants, Eagles, Steelers, and Bills. Done. Right there. And that's a pretty good division when you have, you know, New England, Buffalo, the Steelers, and Eagles. The Jets and Giants are in rebuilds, but still. Seahawks, Niners, Raiders, Chargers, Rams, Cardinals. Right? The South Division. Jacksonville, Dolphins, Bucks, Saints, Texans, Cowboys. 
Maybe the Falcons are in there. It, you just Google NFL map and the <laughs> yeah. logos are there. It's so easy. And you look at the distance of those places, you can fly in and fly out. There's no big disparity here. Sure, Seattle is a little far out. The Broncos are kind of in no man's land. You need to do regional play because when you have these guys at hotels, look at the Marlins. The Marlins weren't the Marlins didn't get it in Miami, which has been a hot spot. The Marlins were in Atlanta. Staying in Atlanta, whether they were irresponsible or not, you cannot have these teams. The Jets, I think, in a two-week stretch, have two West Coast games. Are they going to stay in the West Coast for 10 days? I don't know. Are they going to fly home back and forth? You need same-day travel. You need regional play for us to have a full football season. When I know they're banning the two-day before travel, because that used to be the thing. Like, oh, you know, if New England's playing... Uh, in in L.A., they would go and they would, two days before acclimate, whatever. That's that's gone. It's day before travel. So you're, I'm with you, Connie. This is something that that we rallied for uh, on our on our local radio show. Yeah, you have to figure this out. Like baseball, like baseball had the right idea with the regional schedule. Regional could work as long as the players are doing their part. Right, and they are not. All right, Patrick Chamberlain sent in three questions because uh, he thinks he's special. Which sticky did you miss the most? Which did you miss the least, and which summertime football news did you most wish you could have had an emergency pod to address? So my sticky I missed the most, oh, I can't pick just one. Uh, I'm just going to say Pat Chamberlain then. This oh, dude always sends us questions. True. And I missed reading like the creative questions. It helps playing the show when those stickies interact with us. And I, oh, that's what you guys want to hear us talk about? Let's roll with that then. Sticky that I missed the least... Um, anybody that leaves bad reviews on iTunes, I, I didn't miss you at all. Or if you just, because they didn't some, like our opinion, right? You take something we say and you're like, Oh, you must hate our team. I will just peek behind the curtain. There's one team in all of sports that I hate. And that is the Oklahoma Sooners. And I have, you can find a lot of sound clips of me saying good things about the Oklahoma Sooners. So if you think I hate your team, I do not. Unless it's Oklahoma. Those are the the fans that I didn't miss. In summertime breaking news, I would have loved to have talked about the Chuba Hubbard stuff as it was happening. Because I really feel like that's what got the ball ball rolling with a lot of the college football news that we talked about at the top of the show. Yeah, I think when you look at this, you know, obviously, Pat, great questions. Always great questions. Our guy, Dam Supa, DM'd me a couple great questions. We'll we'll save them for our later week show because we got... A lot of request, uh, questions we've had stored here. Everybody that sends in drafts on drafts, it's it's really appreciated because I know we all agree on this. It really makes the show what it is, right? It's interaction. It's talking about the things that you want to hear about. And, and I think that's really cool. Which sticky did I miss the least? Uh, Dan Barnes texts me all the time. So I, <laughs> I can't say I've missed Dan Barnes because I hear from him all the time. Uh, summertime news. I think the most like layup one is, is, for me is the Jamal Adams trade. It was like my world's colliding. The Jets' best player and a draft capital trade. Uh, you know, we always joke like when we started the pod. I want to say it was like Browns were the stick to football team, yeah. and the Raiders last year was clearly the Dolphins. And it feels like now the Jets are leading that charge of, hey, how many picks can we have next year? They have like 11 already. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny how that has happened. Um, it was an eventful summer in the sports world. There was, trust me, I've said this to the guys off the air because we've been off the air. There was a lot of times I was frustrated that we were not there to speak on what was going on. 
Yeah, so I thought about this. The one I miss the most, Kyla Kiefer. The one I miss the least, Dan Kiefer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations on the 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 baby on the way. Uh, summertime football news. You guys, I mean, both like the Chuba thing. That really uh, is a combination of a lot of my interest and passion. So that was a good one. Uh, obviously, Jamal. Uh, you know the relationship there, and then it it being not only Connor's favorite team, one of the best players in the NFL, gets traded for draft picks. That's a big one. Um, I, I do think that like the the Mahomes deal, just being able to kind of take a step back and be like, they just paid this dude half a billion dollars. And I know there's only so much you can say about that, but the excitement of that deal happening, I know a lot of people are like, emergency pod, emergency pod. Uh, good news is those will probably be coming back now. All right, next question from Micah McDonald. Who do you think emerges as a bigger contributor for the Raiders this year, Lynn Bowden or Brian Edwards? Uh, Lynn Bowden's probably going to be playing more running back than wide receiver. I'm going to take Brian Edwards, even though I think he's the lesser known player. I loved his route running. He's a physical dude, and I think he fits that offense so well because we're going to see like breaking routes four days from him. I, I would have probably even taken Brian Edwards if you threw in Henry Ruggs as well. And with Lynn Bowden, I love his athletic ability. He's kind of been learning a new position. They drafted him to play running back. I think that he can get involved with punt and kick return stuff too. But I really think that if we saw a healthy Brian Edwards in the spring, uh, we would all be talking about him a lot more. I really like that pick from the Raiders. I think that he can be huge for Derek Carr and be that receiver opposite of Henry Ruggs that the Raiders are really going to need. I think it'll be a little bit of a fight for targets for Edwards, but definitely really high on him probably a year from now. I think what I'm intrigued by with Lynn playing running back is, besides how good he is after contact and making guys miss, is that Josh Jacobs has been banged. He's a great player. It's been banged up at Alabama, banged up as a rookie. Maybe they try to save and preserve him a little bit and give Lynn some more looks so Jacobs can be as effective as he could be for an entire season, not just 10 weeks or things like that. I I'm really excited to see how creative Gruden gets with a player like Lynn in his offense this year. Yeah, I am too. And we know he could play quarterback if you need to. Just put him back there, run Wildcat. He can do it. Uh, and also, I like that he's wearing 33. Like, that's a great number. It's fresh. So, wearing 33 is great. Okay, Volt asks, how do you see the 2021 draft order being determined if the 2020 season ends without the full 16? Also, welcome back, fellas. I've missed you. So, what I've heard about this is that they will do, uh, it'll be winning percentage, strength of schedule. So, it will be... Uh, it won't be based on like not everyone can play 16 games, kind of like we're seeing in Major League Baseball. It'll just go on that winning percentage. So if there are some teams that play 12, some play 16, you can still get that winning percentage. So that's what I've heard. That could obviously change a lot between now and April, but that's what it looks like. And that's what I would think. And if you're scared about the NFL season not happening, I guarantee we see at least three weeks of football. Yeah. And then right. they would probably just determine the draft order based on those standings. Or I'd be here for a lottery. Man, that'd be great. It, it what would, would be. be a fun way for them to determine the draft order? That's like not a lottery auction. Like a, yeah. just auction <laughs> off the picks. Yeah. How much do you want to? Pay? How many draft picks do you want to yeah. pay for Trevor Lawrence? It's like Twitter a supplemental votes. draft. Yeah. You could get real crazy. Oh, man, here. the Bengals would go from number one to no picks. Right. <laughs> right. They would just. I think if they just streamed the season on Madden. <laughs> 
You know, it's like, okay, well, Bengals get the first pick again. This is what happens. Don't give BR any more ideas. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> what if we just had a bunch of Trevor Lawrence's play a bunch of Justin Fields, and whoever wins and that whoever wins the Heisman? Goes number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you joke. That's probably going to happen this fall. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, Scott Anderson asks, do you think the opting out will have a significant impact on players' draft stock? Also, can we get weekly updates on Connor's weight room performance? I'm a little offended, Scott, that you didn't ask for mine or Mello's weight room performance. <laughs> Um, so I don't think opting out will affect any players. Um, as I said, there's always going to be that one scout, you know, who's like 70 years old and, and you know, doesn't see the the point in all this. I think there's like a, a Twitter account called like Angry Scout. And I don't know if it's a parody or not, but like they would probably be upset about it. But I think most people understand that the players are doing this for the right reason. And I, I think with at least Caleb Farley, there's enough game tape out there that you can kind of figure out who he is. And he won't get his chance to go out and shine this year. Uh, but I, I don't think that he'll be significantly impacted by it. I, I think that he's a first-round corner, and we knew that coming into the season, and we're going to know it again in the spring. Yeah, I think the only guys that'll be hurt by the opt-outs is if it's like somebody that, you know, had a summer grade, it's like a seventh-round UDFA, and then they opt out now. I think think guys would be like, well... <laughs> You're not going to be able to improve that stock unless you run a four two eight. So we don't really know what to do with you there. I don't think any good players should be hurt by opting out. I think it's going to be, I think it's logical, right? Like, I'm just being honest. If you're a top 60 player, you should probably start thinking about the opt out. Preserve the body. You have more time to prep all the time in the world to get that 40 time start right. And uh, as for my weight room performance, I have all the time in the world now that the gyms are open after five months to get my performance right. So it's uh, it was a long I mean, I couldn't go anywhere for like four months here. It was like wake up, sit in the bedroom. You could go for a walk, but you were like scared to be near people. So I'm just happy I'm allowed outside again. Yeah, right. I it would have been amazing, like, and I know this didn't happen, but like if Connor had come back like chubby. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't do anything. Right, like for four months. Yeah, who would have hey, nobody who knows, that, like, right? I'm away. not on camera right now. There's right. no way to actually tell. Yeah, like your hair's all grown out, you have a beard now, and it's just like, oh shit, Connor <laughs> there, really. There let was a go. point. There was a point in like late May where my hair was long. I had a gross mustache <laughs> and I would just throw on like a lax penny from not from high school, from like alumni games and maybe pants, sweatpants or shorts <laughs> every day. And I looked at myself one day and I was like, God damn. I was like, thank God we're not doing the show right now, man. Yeah, same. Yeah, they're, and we're back. There's been a lot of summer like uh, backward hat T-shirt days because it's four million Every degrees day. here. So what are you gonna do? All right, three more questions. Kevin Williams said, "Who's gonna lead the NFL in sacks this year, and why is it Chandler Jones?" <laughs> so I would actually pick Chandler Jones. We had to do this thing for BR. All the writers did where we picked like who's gonna lead the league in sacks. I picked Chandler Jones. I just feel like that defense is going to be very good this year. Like, Buda Baker is an underrated star. I think their corner play is going to be much better. Uh, and I think they can score enough that they're going to have people in situations where they're throwing the ball more. And Chandler Jones is a, is a stud. I mean, he's one of the best pass rushers in football. Uh, so he's definitely capable of doing this. I, I'm just glad that he's finally getting love, that Chandler Jones is finally recognized as a top pass rusher in the NFL because for too long in his career, he was not talked about. So great for him. Chandler Jones. Love it. 
I'm going to go with TJ Watt. I think we're going to have a big breakout year from him. Uh, like you said, with that defense, I, I think that Pittsburgh can produce enough pressure. You got a guy like Minka coming into his own with that defense too. And I'm just a little biased and I'm a huge TJ Watt fan. I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. I think, you know, we, we obviously gave him a lot of praise earlier. I think he obviously shows up ready to go every year. I think that defensive line's pretty good where he'll be able to really pin his ears back and, and get upfield. So I, I think Miles Garrett is somebody that is a clear-cut favorite, one of many favorites to lead the league in sacks. And I think when you look at it, I think we're going to see a big-time bounce back from Khalil Mack this year. Having Robert Quinn across from him, I think, is really going to take some pressure off of him. And after an eight-and-a-half sack season, I think we see those numbers pump up back to the 13-14 kind of range for him. All right, Antonio Rascala, who's your favorite running back in this year's class, Chuba, Najee, or Travis Etienne? Uh, so mine changed over summer as I tried to watch players. My top back for next year is Najee Harris right now. I love, like, I like all these guys so much. Uh, Najee's ability, the power, the speed, the athleticism overall, what he brings in the pass game is nice as well. Like, Etienne's, you know, such a scat back. He's he's a little bit smaller. He's incredibly fast. And then with Chuba, like, I mean, I do like his all around game. I just think Najee does it a little bit better. I thought I was going to have a different opinion here, but my guy is Najee. And you look at him and you see a 6'2", 225-pound back, you don't expect him to catch the ball as well as he does out of the backfield. And not that Chuba or Travis Etienne don't do that. I love those guys too. The difference for me is the size. I think that we're going to see a huge season from Najee Harris if we do have a season, and he's probably going to establish himself. The other two backs, they sit around 200 pounds. I've seen Travis Etienne listed as high as like, 215 before but I don't know if I believe he's that big uh, so the difference maker at least for right now is going to be they're all complete backs Najee just has the frame to withstand a full 16 game schedule in the NFL when I look at Najee he's really a hybrid of Steven Jackson and Matt Forte and that's just those guys just don't come around very often that 6-2 I can run through you I can run around you I catch everything in sight uh, he good inside and outside runner. I think that's special. But I look at Etienne, and I think I just I, I gravitate towards him because he's going to be very scheme specific. I, I think in a sense. But if you get him, it, like you look at CJ two K right on those great Titans years, that offense was tailor made for him to really get outside, stick his foot in the ground, and shoot up field seventy yards. And I think Etienne is a very very similar kind of player to that. So. This is a great running back class. It really is. And it's no knock on Chuba at all, who in his own right is phenomenal. I'm going to roll with ETN, though, right now. Yeah, and uh, keep it on Jarrett Patterson at Buffalo. That's my sleeper running back for this year. Journey Brown. Kenny Gainwell at Memphis. It's great. It's loaded. It's absolutely loaded. Hopefully we get to see them play. Uh, Last question, and I I guarantee you not every show is going to be this long, but uh, it's been good to just stretch out a little bit and – Go an hour and 45 minutes today. So last question from Dylan Terriman. What school's prospects will be the most or least affected by the current uncertainty surrounding the season? So for me, least affected will be Alabama because Nick Saban is great with scouts. They're going to be able to come in and watch these guys practice and work out. There's not going to be any issues there, right? So Alabama is going to be okay. 
Now, I think the school that's going to be most affected will be my guys at North Dakota State because they're not going to be going to play Oregon. We're not going to see those games against marquee teams where you get to see Trey Lance not beating up James Madison. We, you know, we wanted to see him play big boy schools. We're not going to get to see that now. So, and they have two guys ranked in my top ten. I'm big on Trey Lance and Dylan Cadden's. Uh, we're not going to get to see them play against premier players. Uh, Dylan Cadden's against uh, that pass rusher from Oregon, uh, whose name just completely Uh-oh. escaped me. Thibodeau. Thibodeau, yes, yeah. yes. That was going to be, like, I was salivating for that game. And We're not going to be there. Trey it's Lance against that amazing Javon Holland, secondary uh, was going to be huge, too. So it does suck for those guys. I, I think that teams that won't be affected, it's your powerhouse. It's your, like, your Clemsons, your Ohio State. You're returning your quarterback. You're turning your coach and, and some other skill position players and offensive line and on the defense, too. So I, I think if you're returning a lot of starters, even schools like Minnesota, it, you're going to be set up for a lot of su- success. So, uh, one school at the top that is a blue blood that I'm worried about is Georgia. And, and you're breaking in a new, you're breaking in two new quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, honestly, I think that is a quarterback competition. It is. And I know that a lot of people fell in love with Jamie Newman last year. And they're like, oh, he's going to Georgia. He, he's going to be so great. He's like quarterback three in this class. I don't know if he's going to be quarterback one at his own school. I really think that we could see a quarterback competition there. And watching Jamie Newman a little bit more over this summer and this break, I think that Sage Surratt might have built Jamie Newman and and was the best thing at Wake Forest. I think the better option for him was maybe stay there and, and have that guy to throw that 50-50 ball to. But we'll see what happens with Georgia. Breaking in new quarterbacks, uh, you lose a running back, you lose a lot of that offensive line. That offense could really struggle for the Bulldogs, thankfully for them and any Georgia fans. You have one hell of a defense coming back. I know a lot of people think JT Daniels is going to start there. Like, I, not I fans, actually do. Like a lot of, a lot of yep, college think football people win think that. Yeah. Oof, man, I, I think we could see a situation if that happened where Newman would just walk away. Honestly, I, I really could. And I know that's risky. Well, Kelly Bryant right, like, did it. Yeah. It's a little I, bit I different. I definitely but... see that. No, it's exactly. It it happens. I think they just start training. I, I mean, you guys said it with the big schools, right? Like, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to be a first-round pick. And, and even not just talking about these quarterbacks. Like, a guy like Wyatt Davis, turn on the film. He's a first-round interior offensive lineman already. And he probably would have, you know, he had already established that. So those guys are, aren't really affected because if the season stops – their film from the last couple of years already speaks for itself. I think obviously the North Dakota state guys, because they're big time names that we don't know where their football season's going, but the names you don't know about that aren't always even draft picks. They're often UDFAs guys trying to get training camp invites that might not have shot at NFL career. Now Ivy league guys. I mean, really the and every year, once in a while you do get players that are, are drafted out of the Ivy league or you get UDFA guys. But it, like we said, if there is, you know, spring football is an option for certain conferences or a lot of conferences, it's going to be very, very difficult in these times. Now, where the flip side that I find interesting here, guys, is the NFL salary cap is going to go down next year to $175 million. A lot of teams are going to be in cap hell, are going to have to not only shed money, but they're going to have to fill out the last potentially 13 spots of the roster with rookie contracts, right? Undrafted players, players on minimum salaries. So hopefully there's a balancing act where while the resume might not exist like it usually does, the opportunity does for players like that. 
Yeah, man, it is going to be wild, and we are going to be here twice a week keeping you updated on everything happening in the world of college football, the NFL draft, and the NFL. It is good to be back, boys, and we'll be back Friday morning, Tuesdays, Fridays, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your shows, we will be here. For Mello and Connor, thank you for coming back. Keep sending in those draft on draft questions. We'll talk to you real soon.